You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Glad you're here this morning. We did. We had a good time with youth on the lake yesterday. That was a lot of fun. That's something we'll. The the guy that has the house we went to and all the boats and all that stuff said that that's something we'll do every year. It'll be a good thing for our students to be able to do that. It's an annual event, um, so it'll only get better. I'm looking forward to that. So I'm very grateful uh, for the opportunity to be able to do that. Everybody came out, the chaperones. Thank you guys for being there. Um, we've been going through the book of Mark is what our journey has been, and we're in chapter 3, and at this pace it'll be a long series, and I think that's okay. Um, it's just hard when you read through and you're like, oh, there's that, oh, there's that. Like you just like you just don't want to skip some stuff and go, well, let's just hit the, like as I've gone through, I, I usually I'll go through a book, I'll just hit the, you know, what I consider the high points. Here's the big theological point. Here's the doctrine that's taught here. Here's the significance of this. And it's just like every time you go into the next little section of a, a chapter, it's like, well, that's pretty significant. Well, that's pretty significant too. So it's hard to, Hard to get through, but today, as I read through it, there were there were two big, really three, but I'm not. In, I, I am going to skip one part, but there's there was there were two big areas, but one is this big question, and I get asked this a lot. I hear this in conversation a lot uh, around the church, outside of church. You know, people just come up and just they just have this question: Is is there an unforgivable sin? And if so, what is that sin? You know, and you have people all get into different thoughts about what that is. But before we get to that, let's look at a couple other things Mark gives us in here. And so um, that's just kind of the teaser, the hook to say we're going to get to that. And honestly, I I, talk, I was telling Nikki, I was telling another guy this morning, or not this morning, yesterday at the lake at, that's preaching at another church this morning. I was like, man, I'm just I'm really nervous about, I don't know if you feel my tension. I'm just I'm more, more nervous than usual. I'm always nervous when I preach. Um, but it, a little more nervous this morning because it, it's, it's just heavy when you get into talking about what I'm going to talk about here at the end. And it just, you, you so want people, as I've had conversations with you guys, it's, you know, you don't want to, you know, scare people into, I mean, you just can't. You just, people aren't going to truly fall in love with Jesus if it's just a fear-based deal. But you, you know, we've done a good job at, at scaring people to death in church, but not done a good job at showing them what it means to fall in love with Jesus. And so today kind of, it's a push-pull, but I'll, I'll say this again later. It's like Paul said, I do not want to be guilty of not teaching the full counsel of God. There's things I have to just teach. It's in there, and it's not up to me to say, well, that's not too seeker-friendly, so I'm just going to skip that part. There's times you just can't do that. You try to present it in a way that says God loves us so much that he provides a way that this doesn't have to be for us. I mean, but hopefully people understand the bigger picture of God loves us, and it doesn't have to be this. It's, this is why he's so good. 
Thanksgiving. So we'll get to that in just a minute. But we've been following the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and he began his ministry here on earth, and we've watched as he's done. He got baptized by John the Baptist. We saw the picture of the Trinity there together at his baptism. He's had a party with tax collectors and sinners. He's healed people, shown mercy and compassion to the outsiders, the outcasts of society. With, he withdrew alone to pray for strength for the challenges of the, of the earthly life and ministry. He, he addresses the Sabbath and the Lord's Day, which we explained last week, and why we do what we do on Sunday this morning and so on. And then in Mark 3, starting in verse 13, he it says this, And he went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach to have authority to cast out the demons and he appointed the twelve Simon who he gave the name Peter remember we were talking about Simon Peter earlier in this chapter James the son of Zebedee John the brother of James to them he gave the name it just means I want to go after that one sons of thunder okay it's interesting these guys, they, they, they were really bold. If you know one story, uh, they get to the point where they tell Jesus, why don't you just call down fire from the sky or just destruction upon this city. And I mean, that's what, they were just that kind of guy. They were just like, okay, so they, they're sons of thunder. That's what, they kind of have that reputation. And so then Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. That's a whole question I couldn't get into. It's something you might bring up in small groups. You guys talked this week. Why did it go ahead and tell us that there? Okay. Um, and why did he call him knowing that? Not, there's all kinds of questions around that that you can go, hmm, interesting. Okay. Now this may seem as though it's a, when you read this kind of thing right here, it, it's kind of like getting into the genealogies when you get into one of those sections where it's like, this one begot, this one begat, this one begot. And you're like, why? This is like a waste of papyrus. Or that, you know, the, the manuscripts. That was just like, really? Because that stuff wasn't cheap back then. It was hard to get, you know, ink and what the scribes had to go through. So why, why in the world would we, like, what, what? This is just not that. To us, we read through it and move on, right? And, and we just think it's a waste to write about it. But everything God puts in scriptures, it's in there for a reason for us. Okay, but as we mentioned before, God has set into motion. This is where I look at this, and I go, God has set into motion the plan of redemption through Jesus, and He's at work on the plan. Okay, remember we talked about that back at last week of creation, six days rested, finished with His work. Fall happens, gets up from His work, begins to work again, and. The plan of salvation was put into place before the foundations of the earth, but to actually get up and start working on it, the plan was there. But when the fall happened, he's okay. It's time to get to work on that. Starts building his people and setting into motion everything that would take for Jesus to come and die for us and be resurrected. And so, this this is that plan, and and it all started with Adam and Eve. And and this little section we're reading right here is all part of that plan. It's a huge part of that plan. These verses here in Mark are, are significant to the plan. 
this is actually, I mean, a lot of people go to Pentecost and they're like, Holy Spirit comes. But this is, this is part of that whole initiation of the plan for the church, which we're a part of today, which is very significant. Okay, It plays directly into what would be established as a new, all-inclusive people of God. Not just the Jews, but all of us, the Gentiles as well. Okay, It would be the initiation of training those who would establish the early church. I mean, these are the guys that's going to start the church that spreads the gospel that leads to us being a part of that today. And so Luke 6.12 tells us, if you go to that part, that version of the story in the other gospel in Luke, it's cool because he says that Jesus stayed up all night and prayed before picking these 12, before he did this. Luke 6.12, spent all night, all night, Jesus, okay, praying before appointing who would be his apostles to start the early church. Just consider the implications of the 12 that he picks, right? And what happens after Jesus ascends back to heaven and leaves this in the hands of these men as he sends them out and gives them the Holy Spirit to guide them and, and empower them to do this work, he sent them out. And I, I don't have time to get into this part um, very deeply, but he appoints 12. I think that number has significance that it's 12 okay just like the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament that were there to to guide the people to do certain things for the people um, just thinking about that one aspect of all that that in the Old Testament the number of tribes was important but the individuals really weren't because it was 12 tribes and they had certain roles that they played the tribes were given duties for the for the people of Israel. Okay, now the Holy Spirit in the New Testament accomplishes the plan in person through individuals who are named. Okay, the the individual it becomes significant. Okay, just to say this that you are important to the spread of the gospel. Okay, yes, you're part of the church. But individually, it's important the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Whether your tribe does or not, there's that individual responsibility. It's no longer an emphasis on the tribes and the people of Israel and their, per, uh, their preservation. The purpose now is sending out and the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles and to a lost world. Jesus calls not the 12 individuals to the Torah or to the law. He calls them to himself. Notice that, okay, if you go back and, and look at that, that issue, okay? Again, I don't have time to cover all this, but he, 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 did, he, didn't, he called the tribes to the Torah, to the law, but now they are called to himself. Really significant implication. Twelve tribes, certain pastors, people, twelve apostles sent out to preach the gospel, okay? Heavy implications in these passages is the aspect of the Christ, in the Christian life of evangelism, Okay? Big, big shift there, okay? Now, I know if you've been here, um, it it has been seen clearly. Like, I don't know what it is. I'm, well, I do. But for the past two, three months, I don't know if you've noticed. You probably have, and it frustrates you, and you go, 
okay, Marty, you've told us that like every Sunday for the past three months. We've, we've talked about evangelism and sharing the gospel and reaching our neighbor and reaching out. And Matthew part, like, like why, why do we have to keep going there? Like I, you've told us. And then there's that pastor side of me that goes, well, I was taught takes saying it seven or eight times before people actually even remember it that you ever said it in a sermon, much less grasp it and start applying it to their lives. And so as pastors, we can become very redundant, right? And we feel like we're wearing it out, but you're like, I don't remember you talking about that, right? But it's, it's if you've noticed the emphasis that has been here in all these sermons that comes out about reaching out, sharing your faith, spreading the gospel, evangelism, hospitality, building relationships for a purpose, for the purpose of sharing our faith. We, we are... Um, not a church that is so consumed with filling seats simply to have a big church and a big budget, okay? Like that, that's insignificant. It won't matter in the end, right? Those things are not the focus. It's absolutely not. The focus is reaching individuals who matter to God because they matter to us as well and are in need of a Savior named Jesus to change their life. That's our, that's our charge. That's what we've been given. And we need to answer the call just like Jesus called the twelve to himself and sent them out to, to preach the gospel. And I just think God has just really been pounding these, me, okay, because I'm with you. This isn't, you guys get it right because I've got it right, okay? I'm the master. You're the students. You people need to get this right. Like, I, I've, I'm growing, learning all the time too, Okay? But it's just like God has just been saying for so long. There, there needs to be we're, we're we're slipping on. Yeah, we're we're inviting people to church, but I'm talking about individually sharing your faith, hospitality, inviting people over for a purpose, like leveraging who you are, what you have, for the sake of the gospel to like literally tell somebody about Jesus. And I know it makes all of us un, a little bit uncomfortable because thinking of those conversations and, and with people and so forth. But hopefully there'll be a little motivation after the end of this that, to share with people and to help people with those things. But there's heavy implications, and I just think God has just been trying to say that to all of us for the past few months through this summer of, hey, I know this part of church isn't the way you want it to be. This, this thing going on at church isn't the way you want it to be. But you know what? Just share your faith with people. Just, just tell people about Jesus. Just love people, minister to people, build relationships, have them over to your house, have a cookout, do whatever it takes. Just do some stuff to try to share the gospel with people. And let me worry about all that other stuff. Not me personally, I'm talking about God, okay? I'll take all the help I can get, right? I mean, anybody with me on that? Have you, anybody been hearing that? Or is it just, am I by myself in all that, Okay. Well, then I, I say we get busy. Like, I, that's just, let's just move on, okay? Mark 3, 20 through 27, says this, And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. And that makes me feel a whole lot better because... Sometimes I lose mine or get accused of such, right? The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by 
Beelzebul. Okay? And he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons, and he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first finds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Okay? And so Jesus has come to plunder the house of Satan and fulfill the plan of crushing the head of Satan, like we're, was prophesied about, to bind Satan from being the, able to rule over people and over the earth forever, but, but to, to rule over the for Jesus to rule over his people. And Jesus shows them plainly that he is not Satan if he is working against Satan, okay? Doing things to harm him. And the, and the big, big implication for us, and, and the word of the day is implication. If you haven't got that, I'm going to use that word a lot. The big implication for us is not to be divided. You have probably seen firsthand in churches what happens when there's no unity, when that happens. It's extremely important more important than a lot of other things we think are important in our own individual agendas. But where there is unity and everybody on board with the same plan, amazing things happen by the power of God through those people. Now, the unforgivable sin part I, I got to talk to you about there at the beginning, hook some of you with, um, at the beginning this morning, comes in here at verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and what blasphemies they utter. And we'll get this in a minute, because first he says all. All means all, okay? Then it says, but. So there's a, all of them are forgiven, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. And never obviously means never. That is guilty of an eternal sin. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Anybody not familiar with the Bible and who hasn't really looked at this a lot or dove into certain issues, and we'll get to context a lot in this because to understand this, it really takes a lot of context on a couple different levels. I mean, if you read that, that that's enough to just scare anybody to death right there, right? I mean, it's just like, whoa, that's heavy, okay? It says, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit, Okay? So, so the question out of that, because you, so you go, oh, is there really an unforgivable sin? Really? Verse 29 tells us that there is. Okay. There is something you can do that never has forgiveness and brings guilt of eternal sin. That's what this, this is saying. There's, it says there's, and, and think about this, because this is where this comes in pretty heavy. There's, there's nothing a man, another person, can hold against you that is unforgivable to the point of eternal sin. Okay? I mean, if somebody holds something against you, you do everything you can to be at peace with that person, but eventually you just move on, right? You just get new people, right? But, but even there's nothing you can hold against yourself that you that really is eternal. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, it depends on where you stand with Christ. What God thinks about your sin 
And where you stand with him on that sin is eternally important. Okay? What men think of you and your sin is not really that important. It is to a degree, but your you know, because the thing is your sin is not more powerful than God's forgiveness. But God is the one who holds the keys, not me, not you. God is the one who holds the keys to forgiveness. And there's a power he uses to extend that, okay? There is only one thing he will not forgive because the power for it to happen gets shut down, okay? What God thinks about your sin is what is eternally important. And, and it says, okay, it says, is there, you know, so is there a sin that is not forgiven? Yes. So it says, well, what is that? God will not forgive someone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. That's what the text says, okay? So you go, what does that mean? Every, everything else is forgivable. You can live with someone who says they, someone else who says they won't forgive you. you won't. But when God says he won't forgive you, there's nowhere else to turn, right? So be careful of someone who tells you especially, because we'll get into a verse here in just a minute that talks about what that eternal means and what it says in Matthew, not in this age or the age to come. Okay, it's interesting. And what this really means. But be careful of someone who tells you that you have a chance to be saved after you die. Because this plays right into that. Okay? Especially that verse we'll get to in a minute in Matthew. Think about this. God's final judgment is as unbreakable as his eternal pardon. Okay, you get that? Once you die, you don't get another chance. As secure as you are in your salvation is as sure as you can be about his eternal condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. And it takes the Holy Spirit to get you in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But it takes the Holy Spirit to get you in Christ. He did the work, died on the cross in our place for our sin, all that stuff you hear me say every Sunday, because it's very important. But the Holy Spirit is the one we'll talk about how He works and has the power to do certain steps to get you to have that. Okay? When it said, and when he says never in this passage, it's very clear that Jesus means never. The, the parallel story is in Matthew 12 that I was talking about. Okay, It's in chapter 12. It's something that's really cool. I just brought these out here so you could see. Um, one of my mentors from the past, Rocky, uh, some of you met him at the, uh, one of the prayer meetings we did, introduced me to these books. But there's such a thing as, and I mentioned this before, Harmony of the Gospels. Okay? These are really cool resources if you're into that level of study, okay? So what this does is, is go in and just lay out, this one's a little easier, is just lay out the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John beside each other and where the stories, where the text matches of what's the same story is set beside each other and where it's not, it's just blank. So it's a really cool resource so that this is the kind of thing I use when I get into this and go, well, I want to understand more about that aspect. So I'll go, where is this found in the other Gospels? And I can go to that Mark 3 and those verses, and I can look, and I go, okay, that, that's where it matches the other places in the Gospels, okay? 
Or if I read two stories and I go, isn't that the same story as this one over here? No, and, and it is or it isn't. Sometimes it isn't. It's a totally different scenario, okay? And you'll see the differences when you understand it, okay? So great resources. And so this, this story is also found in Matthew chapter 12. In verses 30 and 32, he says this, He who is not with me is against me. That's pretty serious in and of itself, right? Bible also says that God resists the proud, okay, which means it says resist. And here it says there's people who he's against. You're not with him. So that means he's just like, okay, they're not with me. I'm just going to leave them alone. It's like, no, it's like it's like a football team. and He's lining up on the other side ready, ready to go, right? I mean, he's against you. He resists the proud. He works against those who are not with him. Okay, that's pretty serious stuff. He is not he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. You throw that back into the whole unity deal. Okay, therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. Any. Okay, we're going to get to this how this ties together because it seems so contradictory. Because he goes, any, all, is forgiven. Wait, wait a minute. There's just there's this thing that isn't. But you said always. Okay, we'll get to that. Okay. Therefore I say, any sin or blasphemy shall be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. That's interesting. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. That language right there is important, okay, because we'll get, we'll get to why in a minute, but never means never. It doesn't tell us when that never starts. But this is very clear. In this age, in the age to come, okay? Watch out. Dispensationalist guy coming back out again, okay? Um, I know there's some of you in here that like that, but that's just God works in different ways during different times, okay? So there's different time periods in the Bible and it shows how God is working in different ways. And here it clearly explains never, which is that it will never be forgiven in this age, which is what I would say the post-apostolic church age is where I'm at with that, okay? What we're living in now, so it says not in, in this age, which this is the gospel speaking, so this is Jesus has come, he's setting up the church, right? Not in this age or the age to come, okay? Which is an eternal, like you can get to the eternal state or new heaven, new earth, however you want to describe that, right? And and it and so it explains that that we are currently in, and nor will it be forgiven. It won't be forgiven now, and it won't be forgiven then. This blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's tough. So never means never. You can't get forgiveness in this in, in the next life for for this deal here. Okay, so don't buy the theology. You will have a chance after you die. This is clear here that there will be some people shut out for, from forgiveness for forever. Okay, because I, I know Rob Bell and a bunch of guys kind of went, Jack, uh, almost said Jackie Chan. Francis Chan, that was terrible, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> they might be brothers, I don't know. Um Sorry, my son was watching one of his movies this week. That's probably where that came from. 
um, Francis Chan said, uh, wrote a book in response, uh, the whole Racing Hell deal, and Rob Bell and some others was a band that got in on this that I used to listen to, and just but saying, hey, after you die, you're still going to have a chance. No, I I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. To me, it's clear there are some people who will be shut out from forgiveness forever, even starting in this life. Okay. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, never forgiven. So what is this sin? What does this really mean, and what is that blaspheme of the Holy Spirit? Well, context is important. So Mark records here of Jesus speaking. He's speaking. It's related back, what he's saying here, to, to the previous verses so in Mark 3, verses 20 through 27. Jesus gives us an example of some men on the edge of blasphemy, when they prescribe the work of the Holy Spirit, remember what they were talking about earlier, as being the work of Satan. They're accusing Jesus of being unclean. They're accusing Jesus of, man, you're, you must be Satan. You're casting out these demons. You have power over them. And he's like, well, Satan wouldn't cast out Satan, right? So they're, they're saying these things about him. They accuse Jesus of using the power of demons when it's the power of God. Now, I get hesitant to say, well, just because they're saying these things, then that's what that means, and they won't be forgiven, okay? Because verse 28 is gives us a prescription that says all sins and all blasphemes will be forgiven sons of men. So I have to go, well, wait a minute. It can be forgiven, but, but what, you know, verse 28, truly I say to you all the sins... All sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies the others. Now, and it seems contradictory to say, and the key is more context. What What's the one word associated throughout the book of Mark, and really throughout scriptures, that brings about forgiveness of sin? Like, what do we got? What got needs to happen? Do what? Repentance. Okay, very good. Sorry, I'm getting old. I can't hear. Um, repentance. That's that's correct. You can go back in this whole book of Mark. Like if you go back to the beginning, Mark one four says, John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Right. Repentance leads to forgiveness. Now, Mark. 115, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of the God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, Repentance is needed for forgiveness of sin as we all see throughout Scripture. I mean, it's just it's part of the gospel, right? Turn from the sin and follow God. So in Mark, it means all sins and blasphemies will be forgiven where there is repentance of those things. Okay? And here's, here's the part I was talking about earlier. Here, because it takes the Holy Spirit in order for you to be able to repent. It takes the Holy Spirit, one, to show you your sin, to open your eyes, to enlighten you, to understand spiritual things, not just carnal things. Context of Scripture. you got to look at the whole Bible, right? 
this Holy Spirit shows you your sin. Number two, the, the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. Not only shows it to you, but you goes, oh, that's wrong, and I, man, I'm in trouble. Okay? This leads to death, and here's the consequences, and man, I, I'm in trouble. It shows you the sin, it convicts you of the sin, and the Holy Spirit draws you to God and gives you the measure of faith. This is the way I would say this, if you all know me, okay? Needed to allow you to choose to turn from your sin and follow God. I know that's not the way everybody would say that. End result's the same. Beginning and end is the same, okay? That process of how you understand that may be, but that's what the Holy Spirit does, okay? If, if you're on another spectrum, you as a full Calvinist, you would say the Holy Spirit draws you, chooses you, and makes you a Christian because grace is irresistible, okay? I think that drawing is still there, has to happen. The Holy Spirit gives you a measure of faith. But I think at some point there is a, there's some sort of choosing. I don't think grace is irresistible because I think there's places in Scripture that says it was resisted. Okay? Directly from Jesus for the most part. Not he resisted, but they resisted Jesus and his calling of them. Okay? But still remains. Has to show you the sin, convict you of the sin, and give you what you need, draw you, show you God so that you, you take that step and you're forgiven your sin and place your faith in God. Okay, that is why it, it doesn't say it's unforgivable to blaspheme the Father. It doesn't say, you know, why, why does it not say it's, it's, it's unforgivable to blaspheme against Jesus? Against the Word, the Holy Scriptures, against, um, what about the church? Right? Because, and it's because when you reject the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the one that works in you to show you sin, sin convict you of sin, and empower you to turn from that sin. Okay? There's a way to say that that Armenians and Calvinists would agree with. Okay? Shows you your sin, convicts you your sin, empowers you to turn from that sin. It is the power of repentance and made available, yes, made available by the work of Jesus. Here's that forgiveness. It's available. So that then the Holy Spirit can lead you to repentance from your sin and turn and get the forgiveness Jesus provides on the cross. Okay? The Holy Spirit is said in Scripture to be the only way that someone can say Jesus is Lord. Okay? Now that doesn't just mean, because we can program a robot to say Jesus is Lord, right? It's not just saying just to say that. But it's it takes the Holy Spirit for you to really believe that to the point you're willing to die for that belief. That you believe that that's that Jesus is worth more than anything that you have placed truly surrendered and placed your life in the hands of Jesus. If you can say that, the Holy Spirit's the one that gave that to you. Right? Empowered you to get there. I mean, what when when P 
Peter got it right when he was asked, when Jesus said, well, who do people say I am? Right? Some say a prophet, some say this, some say that. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered correctly, you're Jesus Christ, Son of God. You know, he gets it all correct. And what does Jesus say back to him? You didn't come up with that on your own. That was given to you. Right? It's what this is what this talking about. It takes the Holy Spirit for you to get there. It is the power, the Holy Spirit is, He has the power to get you to that forgiveness that Jesus bought. The Spirit has a unique role to play in our salvation. Okay? Those verses are not contradictory to say it can all be forgiven. It's not all sins are forgiven and then there's this one that's not. Because you can't say all and then say one. Okay? It's saying that going against the Holy Spirit puts you beyond saving repentance. It puts you beyond that place where you can repent and get the forgiveness from that sin no matter what it is. You understand what that's saying? There's still hope for the one who sees God turns away from their sin and puts their faith in Jesus. There, there's, there's always hope for that. But there is still hope for the one who sees Jesus and turns. I hope you get that this morning. I hope, that's, that's the part I want you to walk away with. Is not, man, Martin was really harsh. That's some serious, that's some serious bitterness right there, right? No, it's, I hope you leave going, there is still hope. There is still hope for the one who sees Jesus. The Spirit is the one who has the unique role of moving into your life and opening your eyes, opening your heart, opening your mind. All those things are talked about to the love of God the Father displayed in Christ the Son. That's the Holy Spirit's role. Okay? And bring you to repentance. And if you reject the Spirit, there is no other power, no other hope, because who's going to open your eyes to it? You can't. All the Calvinists said amen. If you're dead, you're dead. If a dead person can't do anything for himself. I get that, right? It takes the Holy Spirit to initiate that. And I, and I get it, okay? I'm going to get ahead of myself. Okay, this is difficult, but listen. I said not forgiven in this age or the next... It depends on what where you put those ages. I know that can be a, a shuffling deal, right? Depend on how you interpret Scripture. So even in this age, it won't be forgiven. So there's there's two different ages that would say it won't be forgiven, right? In other words, it may not be that you have a chance. This is the tough part because this is not what's taught in our churches. Okay, you may not have a chance up until your dying day on your deathbed. It's possible that can that, that can get cut off before you're laying there in the ICU breathing your last breath. Okay? You're like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense to me. Basically, I know. In current, we've not been. This is not something that you normally hear. You're like, man, you've got a chance. It is possible you have a chance, but it depends on what you've been doing with the Holy Spirit and it's speaking to you. Okay. <clears throat> There, there's, there's still that hope, but maybe you can say no to the Holy Spirit often enough, loud enough, 
that eventually the Holy Spirit goes, you don't want God? You don't want me? You don't want me to help you? And you've told me no 152 times, and now you're mad, and now you want to just be left alone. You don't want to hear it anymore. Okay, I'm just going to go away. I won't bother you anymore. And so the power to be able to repent has been removed. And so as much as in your mind you you think, and I remember church, and I on my on your deathbed you're wanting that, the power for it to happen may not be there. I mean, you've seen it throughout scripture where it refers to the hardening of hearts, right? Heart gets hardened to a certain point. So it can be that just, man, you're just to the point. Hardening of a heart comes from somebody saying no to God enough that the Holy Spirit just finally says, okay, I will leave you alone. You've told me enough, I'm done. I'll leave you alone. And you know that's the way I explain it. God doesn't really send anybody to hell. He just gives them what they want. They tell him no often enough. Like in Romans it says they have said in their heart there is no God, which literally means no God. There is no God. I'm saying no to God. Somebody can say that enough, that it, and it says in there that, that God just leaves them alone. So God just gave them over to that. That's what they want. You can have. Right? So God's not being harsh. It's not like, God is so mean. Send them that. He's just giving them what they want. They don't want him. Right? They want, they want everything else that's not him, which is nothing good. That makes sense to us, right? But that's just what it ends up being. But they don't see because they don't have the Holy Spirit, right? Okay? So if you, if you reject the Spirit, there's no other power. He could, he could withdraw that opportunity. What I see, I see in scriptures, you can find yourself in that place that's so hardened, having rejected the spirits, that you're just unable to come to repentance okay, and forgiveness. So how should we live in view of this, if you understand that? Okay? Knowing this should cause you to run from sin. Okay? You've heard me explain it this way. You know, God gives us a little light. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and says, hey, look at this. And we go, wow, look at that. Right? He reveals it to us. And so there's this light. So we can step into that light. Right? And the source of the light's over there. And we get a little more light. And we see a little more. And we see a little more. Moving towards the light. I know that sounds kind of creepy. But that's me, you know. But the opposite is, there's that light. And we go, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't want that. No, no, I just don't want that. And we say no often enough that we find ourselves so far over here in the dark that we can't see the, the source of the light so far away. We just can't see it anymore. If that makes it a little more practical to you. And one day we may find ourselves in such dire trouble that we go, man, I remember church and I remember grandma saying and dad saying or that preacher saying or Man, I just—I I guess I just need to be saved. But we not, may not be able to get to that point where we really surrender to God because we're so far away and the Holy Spirit's not giving us that power to do it anymore. Maybe, maybe there's enough left that we go, that we can go running back to the light. It's possible. I can't judge that for somebody. There's always hope for me for someone that they can 
having that the Holy Spirit, I can still pray, God, would you just one more time by your Holy Spirit just show them, help them. That's why prayer is so important, especially for those that we kind of go, man, I just don't know how they're going to ever see it. We just need to pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to them, that they will say yes to the Holy Spirit, that they will start moving closer together on, on track with the Holy Spirit. We should, us knowing that, we have to take sin seriously. This is the sermon nobody likes to preach. Okay? We have to take sin seriously. You have to. Okay? Now, I know, I, I know. Like I said, as seeker sensitive as anyone, well, maybe not anymore. But I'm a I'm aware of where people are, and I try to help my best to help people toward God, not away from God. And I would say that in a way that says toward the working of the Holy Spirit and saying yes to Him, not saying no to Him. I'm very sensitive to that. Okay. And I try to let people know I love them and care for them no matter where they are in life. And the only reason we can't be friends is because you're not going to let me. It doesn't matter if you say yes or no to what I'm talking about and what I believe. You have a totally different lifestyle. We can still be friends, okay? The only reason we can't be friends is because you, 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 you won't let me be your friends. You, you won't let me be a part of your life, okay? But in that love and care for you, I would be a hypocrite to the extreme if I didn't say at some point, right, hey, this right here in your life, the sin without turning to Jesus, I wouldn't say it exactly that way, right, but just so you understand what it, the generalities. Hey, that right there in your life, that the sin that's going on without turning to Jesus, that's it's going to kill you eternally if you're not careful, and I care too much about you, right? I really want you to be my friend forever, not just today, right? That matters to me. You understand that's what I believe? So who would I be if I didn't say something? And I want to be careful how I say it in a way that shows God's love and doesn't give them a proper, improper view of God. And... and and, and so there's though, there's that scenario, but there's also that scenario, and I understand that I had this conversation this week with, with a guy standing around my truck that talked about how there's just things in the church, there's a lot of people living in sin in the church, and there's just certain things we don't talk about. And the real issue becomes that, and we talked about it in our small group, confession and accountability are two things we just, we we run from it more than sin, Right? It's the uncomfortable thing that nobody wants to. We just the Bible clearly says we're to confess our sins to one another. There's and the, around that truck we had the conversation of about freedom that comes through confession and accountability and how that sets you free from those sins and that that's a, that's a huge way the Holy Spirit works to help you with that. But there's a lot of things going on in our churches and we talked about some of them specifically standing around that truck everything. From pornography to greed, to the, there's, there's certain, you'll never hear a Baptist preacher talk about gluttony, right? There's certain things that we just, we never address, we never talk about that we just think, it just in our minds, we think, let's just pretend like it doesn't exist. And we keep going back to those sins, but are, you read something like this and you go, but what are the implications of that kind of living? When we keep going back to it,
there may be, I'd say there's people sitting here today that probably think the sin they keep going back to is not hurting them really. They've got it managed. There's no remorse over it. There's no repentance, even though I know it's wrong in the Bible, but I think God's made a special exception for me on this one. Right? And the, and the big one becomes eternal security. Well, we I like being in that church that believes in eternal security because then I can manage this sin and really I'm forgiven of everything anyway and I can't lose my salvation, but it should be said not once saved, always saved, but saved, but if really saved, then always saved because you can't lose your salvation but can prove that you never really had it in the first place. Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things in your name, didn't I? Man, I was going to church. I was there was amazing things happening. All these things going on. He's like, I don't know you. That's the, that's like the scariest stuff in the Bible, okay? For us Bible Belt people, it's one of the big reasons we planted this church. Because I'm looking around, going, there's a lot of people that saying, Lord, Lord, but man, I don't know. It's, this is really uncomfortable and not popular to preach in the Bible Belt. I know, I understand. But but it's accurate theology and doctrine from Scripture that I can't skip over just so we can be comfortable, okay? Because it, it doesn't make me comfortable either, okay? But if you are uncomfortable, that's probably a good thing. It tells you the Spirit's work still working in your life, okay? Still working with us. Sin does not lose your salvation if you're really saved but a continual sin against the Spirit is very dangerous. You follow me? I know I just sounded like my dad, but do you follow me? Okay. You with me? So, so that's, that's kind of where I just want to let this land. Is I don't know how else to do it. I just want to pray right now and let God lead us in a time of repentance, hopefully. And I just hope you see sin for what it is and what it does to us. Why God doesn't want that for us. And it's clear in Scripture that sin brought death into the world, right? And it's not just the physical death it brings. It's the spiritual death it brings. And that's a forever So hopefully we'll see sin for what it is and we'll run from it. But don't just leave that statement right there. We're not just running from sin. Because if on the other side we're not running to God, it doesn't matter if we're running from sin. If we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit and running to Jesus, it won't matter. So let's pray. Maybe there's somebody here that says, I'm in need of salvation. That initial faith in Christ that saves. You need salvation. Salvation is that one-time act. It happens in an instant that, that brings salvation, that seals our soul, that, that says, I am a child of God like we sung about earlier. Not everybody's a child of God, everybody's created by God, but only those who are in Christ are a child of God. But then once we have that salvation, we need repentance to keep us on track for perseverance. 
right? If you've surrendered to Jesus, then you need the Holy Spirit and repentance just the same. It's just the beautiful part of that is, is you know that when you repent, the answer is going to be yes, and He's going to work in your life. And so the question becomes, is the Holy Spirit drawing you in either of those ways? Is the Holy Spirit drawing you in a way that says, hey, it's time you fully surrendered. You're not mine, but I, I think you're seeing it this morning. You need salvation. Then you just turn to Jesus. That's repentance. It's just saying, I turn from my sin, myself, being Lord of my own life, and I am surrendering. I am turning to Jesus. He's now Lord of my life. He's now my master, not my sin. And I'm putting my faith in Him, not in myself, not in anything else in this world. I'm turning to Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place for that sin that I could have forgiveness. So forgive me, Father. That's just what you pray. You just have that conversation with Him. You can have it in your own words. If He's drawing you, you know what it is. And then for the rest of us who say we're saved, is there a sin you're playing with? Remember, we need repentance for that perseverance. So maybe you just need to repent right now, turn to Him. Maybe you need to find somebody in your small group. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. If you need me, if you need whoever, a close brother or sister in Christ to go confess that to get accountability with that can help you stay out of that and can show you the love of God and His mercy and His grace and just say, hey, we can work on this and I'm going to help you. And I love you still. God loves you still. Yeah, you should feel bad about that. I'm glad you did. Enough that you would come and, do, and, and take it seriously enough that you would confess it and find some accountability. Father, I just pray right now that we would see our sin and run from it. That we would run to you. Because we know how much you love us, what your son has provided for us. And because grace abounds, we don't want to send more. Because grace abounds, we go, man, that's some awesome love. I want more of that. I want more. I want to obey more. I want to follow more. I want to run from my sin all the more because grace abounds. It's amazing what I've been forgiven already. I don't want to hurt the person I'm saying I love the most, which is Jesus. So, Father, right now, thank you for your Holy Spirit who works in our life, who provides that power to, to get to Jesus. Thank you for your awesome plan. Thank you for your love for us, your mercy, your grace. Thank you, Father. We just want to celebrate that as we sing. Father, I pray if there's somebody in here who's made a decision, they would let us know. We could celebrate with them, whether it's coming to me or somebody else in the church or text and email or whatever it may be, a phone call. We just want to celebrate and help people to their next step with you, Father. Pray for our small groups this week that these conversations, as heavy as they are, would be fruitful and productive, Father. Help us not be afraid to, to talk to each other. May your Holy Spirit be active and working in the life of this church, 
and in our small groups and as we go out into our individual lives with those just with your Holy Spirit just go with us and help us to share the gospel with others we thank you in Jesus name